This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Deborah Sills. Deb recently retired as the global leader for Deloitte Consulting's global government and public sector industry. And she is a member of the she and she was a member of the Deloitte U.S. Board. During her tenure at Deloitte, Debbie also served on Deloitte Consulting Board, um, Board of Directors, Deloitte Consulting Management Committee, and in numerous roles and boards and advisory committees. Boy, that's a lot, Deb, to, to get out. You, you have an, a, a very distinguished career. And uh, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Eileen. It's a pleasure to be with you. So, you know, you, you have such a, a long career and, and a long time at Deloitte. Can, you know, Deloitte's a very interesting company, very highly regarded. Can you describe your leadership style, in particular your leadership style at such a large company like Deloitte? Yeah, so Eileen, I always think of uh, leadership about, is really about trust and respect. And so, the interesting thing about being in a in a partnership or uh, you know a large partnership or a small partnership is leadership is not about the position you hold it's not about the office that you sit in it's about how you create followership how you work with the people and the other partners around you to drive change to drive growth to drive new opportunities in the market in order to do things like that, you really need to get to, to have really good trust with the teams that you're working with. Um, and trust and respect have got something in common. They're two-way. It's not about a leader having the trust of, of those around him. It's a, it's a mutual trust. And so leaders, I believe, really need to work hard to gain the trust of all of those around them, other leaders, people who work with them and for them, um, their, their clients and their markets. And so that to me is what leadership is really about. And the way that I really work with new teams to, to get to that trust is by genuinely caring about the individuals of the organization, you know, seeking their input, understanding their unique situations and, and treating them as, as all leaders should as individuals and individuals with significant value and capability to bring to the organization. You know, respect is similar, but get, you know, I think the best way in my mind to build respect is by modeling the behavior you're asking of others. Um, it's very difficult to create followership in an organization where people see their leader as someone with separate behaviors, you know, willing to do separate things or different things than they're being asked to do. So I think it's very important that leaders model the type of behavior that they're expecting from their organizations. So I really think about leadership like that. And that's what I aim to be as as a leader. So do you ever alter your approach during a situation? I mean, over the last, you know, several decades, you were in a leadership position, you know, a lot of pretty big things happened, um, you know, some very stressful situations, um, probably also some very, you know, times of, of great momentum. 
do you alter your approach to things depending upon the situation that's at hand? Yes, I do. And I, I think that, you know, the foundation here is trust and respect. But, um, but how you exercise that in response to particular situations, I think does vary. And as you said, we've been through some pretty stressful times and there've been decisions that need to be made perhaps differently or, or more expeditiously than we would normally do. For example, um, you know, when something is close in critical decisions need to be made, I think as a leader, one, you need to be more decisive, more directive, need to make sure that each individual in the organization understands their role, what the expectations are, what the execution that's required is in a very clear and direct way in some situations. In other situations, um, let's say we're rebuilding a growth strategy for a new part of the business, you really need to take the time to seek the input, to look at the data, to understand the market. And in those sort of situations, you're going to be have a much more interactive and communicative environment to live in. But I, you know, I think those sort of basic underpinnings of, of trust, respect, um, communication, making sure that everybody understands where we're going and how we're getting there, those leadership characteristics still underpin everything we do, although we exercise our leadership in different ways, depending upon the situation. And we started out our careers about the same time. And um, being a, a leader uh, in the tech industry, many times when I walked into the corner, um, you know, office for, you know, uh, meetings, uh, nobody looked like me is the best <laughs> way to put it. Have, have you found uh, being a woman leader in male dominated situations that you needed to lead differently or you know, approach things differently on the way you, you even even you shared your ideas? Um, I would say not really, Eileen. And as you said, you and I grew up in an environment where that was normal. So, you know, we developed our leadership styles in that environment. Um, where we were oftentimes the only women in, you know, woman in the room. And we developed our, our leadership capabilities in that environment. So I don't see that I have changed my leadership. I learned it that way. I, I, what I would say is I've been very fortunate in, the, you know, in a big part of my career at Deloitte in terms of working with a firm where there are many strong, capable leaders and it's more the norm than the exception. And so I really had to um, learn how to lead differently when I moved out of being in a, in a room of all men and into a room that was much more representative of, of what we see in our, in our normal lives. So I don't think there are really specific things that I've learned over the years from that specifically. So Deb, you've had a long uh, career where you probably met um, some leaders that had significant influence on you. Any leaders come to mind in the past and provide you important lessons or events, even negative, that taught you uh, that you wish all leaders had an opportunity to learn? Yeah, I think this is a, a really interesting question, Eileen. And I think about this question relative to my own, um, I guess, path to leadership over the years. And I think about 
the people who had the most influence on me and those that I think helped me the most in order to develop my own leadership capability. And they all have one thing in common, and that's what I call sponsorship. And, you know, we all have great mentors through our careers. I don't think anyone gets to a leadership role without having people who are willing to, to help them and mentor them. But sponsorship something a little bit different. You know, sponsorship is when somebody in a leadership position puts their reputation and their energy behind your success. And I think it's a very important thing for leaders to do. I think one of our biggest responsibilities as leaders is to build the next generation of leaders. And that um, sometimes requires us to see people that may be and let's call falling through the cracks or not just sitting in the status quo of the business as it is today and recognizing the leadership value that they can have in the future. People did that for me and I have made it uh, something that I do. As I look around our organization, I look for people who are living on the growth edge as I think about it, people who are thinking a little bit differently about the business of the future versus you know, I say just operating, operating the status quo is challenging enough, but but actually looking to the future and where we're going to be as a as an organization and um, putting my sponsorship behind them, helping them get into positions of influence and positions where they can drive that sort of growth that they envision. So I think that's a very important aspect and something that's been really important to me in my career. We've talked about the way to lead but we haven't talked about any experience you've had where you've learned the way not to lead. Do you have any examples or, or influences that happened in the past where maybe you learned, wow, I don't, I don't want, I, I learned not to do that? Um, yes, um, I think, you know, I, I, I don't feel like it is a single event. I think it is small things every day. And I think as leaders, if we um, are looking at ourselves in the mirror every evening and thinking about in reflection the, the things that we did that worked well for us and the things that we did that didn't work well for us, um, then, um, you know, we continue to improve over time. So, um, you know, perhaps a, a story um, relative to that is that, you know, relatively early stage in my career, and I think you learn a lot of lessons at that stage when you're first, you know, in management, um, then um, I was taking over a new organization and I needed to, the organization wasn't doing well, had some P&L issues, and I needed to make some changes. And I was, I was new to the group. I was my first step into this new industry. Nobody knew who I was, you know, where I came from or even why I was there. And, you know, so I had to make some changes pretty quickly. And that included letting some people go who were in my team at the time. And, you know, while I think it was, it was necessary, um, it would have been to my benefit and to the benefit of the organization overall if I had have taken a little bit more time um, to really help the rest of the organization understand where we were, where we were headed, um, and why these, these changes were going to be necessary. 
So I think they're the types of things that I've learned along the way. But on the little things, you know, I think in some respects are more important than the big things. And the little things are around, you know, how you give someone feedback about the, the job that they're doing that enables them to, um, to solve for some of the, the issues perhaps that you're seeing as a leader that they're, that they're struggling with, but at the same time, not to, um, you know, not to demoralize that individual and make it a, a learning experience for them. And they're the sort of things that I believe are the most difficult things that leaders can do. And in order to, um, you know, in order to learn more, I, I'm really a strong observer of other leaders. I watch how leaders do it. I, I hear how leaders have done it for me as I've been growing up and, and the feedback that I've been given over the time and where it's worked well and where it hasn't. And I try to um, choose those things that I think work well and incorporate them into my behavior without taking sort of everything from a particular leader in terms of a learning. I'm speaking with Deborah Sills, former cons uh, global consulting leader for Deloitte's government and public services industries. After the break, we'll discuss the importance of investing in the growth. As a leader, you're listening to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Deborah Sills, former global consulting leader for Deloitte's government and public services industries. Deb, let's talk about your background a little bit and, and how you've been able to adapt to the changes in the federal landscape over the course of your career. For, first, what inspired you for a lifelong career in public sector? Well, Arlene, I think the public sector chose me versus me choosing the public sector. I had worked in the early stages of my career in um, solutions marketing for large technology companies. Um, in the commercial space, primarily in the financial services um, market. And at one point, the leaders of that organization asked me to step into this public sector practice and help to drive the growth there. I was, by background, a technologist. This was a technology-based practice that needed some leadership. And so, you know, I was, I guess, um, you know, introduced to the public sector by taking over an organization that was focused entirely in the public sector marketplace. And the things that really, once I was there, that kept me there were a couple of things. The first is, um, it's a very, very challenging environment to work in, in the technology space. Certainly was back then and remains so today. Governments have really big technology um, opportunities and, and problems to solve. And that's what I love to do. I love to look at how we bring technology to solve, um, you know, large scale problems and to help drive, um, drive outcomes. The second and probably the most important thing, however, is that there, you can see a direct impact of what you do in the public sector on the citizens of the, you know, of the country that you're working in. And for me, it's been the United States predominantly, but when you're working in areas like public health and human services, many of the most vulnerable members of our communities are benefited by the, you know, by governments being able to serve their needs much more effectively and efficiently. And that 
mission focus of our government clients in terms of helping citizens really is what has kept me engaged over all these years. Yeah, I, I have um, been on the public sector side uh, my entire career and uh, the mission orientation uh, really, you know, it, it, it's, it's better than, you know, it's better than money, right? It's, it gives you that satisfaction. Was there somebody, my, my family uh, has a long history of being in the military. So public services is, is sort of like in our blood. Is there something that inspired you um, from your background uh, that is for somebody that inspired you also? Uh, I know you said it picked you, but uh, is, is there anything in your background that also um, drove you in that direction? Not really, Eileen, as you can probably tell from my accent, I didn't grow up here in the United States and I grew up in the outback of Australia. Um, and over the years, particularly as my, my parents aged and I saw the services that, you know, they were provided over the years, um, you know, I've seen the value of that very close to home in my own family. But, um, but at the time, I was, wasn't, you know, inspired by family or the environment I grew up in as much as really um, starting to learn about much more about governments and how they operate and what they do and the impacts that they can make and how I can help them to be effective there is really what drove me in this space. So tell me, what was your very first job? <laughs> well, I think, I guess it depends on how far you go back. Um, I worked in my father's fruit and vegetable shop as a 13 year old serving clients or serving customers, um, which was, I think, a very, very early lesson in customer service and how, how to treat people. Um, but my first real professional job out of university was as a programmer. So I worked for a small software company that built software for the mining and engineering um, industry in Western Australia. And I did that for a couple of years when I, you know, first graduated from college before moving on to work for a large technology company for many years after that. What was your first management job? I and mean, when did you end up, uh, you know, it, it's, the great thing about your career is it, it wasn't a straight line, right? You, you learned along the way and, and you got inspired to in different directions, but at some point you started to to not only lead people, but manage people. Yes. And, you know, I just to pick up on the not a straight line comment, um, Eileen, and perhaps we can talk a little bit more about this later, is that, you know, I really do believe it's, it's the journey that makes this career so much fun. It's not the destination. And so the journey has been, you know, been super interesting and it has kept me challenged all, all of my career. But in terms of, you know, I manage people here and there over the years, you know, being mainly in the consulting space, even when I work for a technology company, it tends to be teams that you're leading small teams. But I would say my first real leadership role was when I um, when I was doing program marketing for, um, you know, this, the the uh, the European practice what we called EMEA back in the days, but predominantly focused on continental Europe and the UK in terms of driving our solution marketing organization for that area for the suite of products that I was responsible for. And so, you know, we were responsible for both looking at 
where the product and solutions were going, what our marketing um, programs and our go-to-market programs look like, how to keep our, get our sales force trained and organized, um, all of those sorts of aspects of driving market growth were what was under my leadership at that point in time. And I would say that was probably my first real management job. So you, you over these, the course of the years where, again, it was on a straight line, how did you grow yourself and your skills to go from, you know, an individual contributor to a manager uh, and, and then to a manager that is a leader? Um, so, you know, as you say, it, it's about experiences, I think, Eileen. You know, one of the things that I have done for many, many years is I've been an observer of other leaders. And I really like to do this. You know, I like to look at what works for them, what doesn't work for them, and start to think about, you know, how I can manage and lead in a way that inspires others and creates, you know, effective organizations. So, you know, I think you learn a little bit every day. And then through the sponsorship I talked about earlier, getting the opportunities to lead and then, you know, listening to leaders at the next level up all the time um, and being, you know, I think self-aware of what's working and what's not working and adjusting your style over time. So I think there are certain things that I have learned over the time in terms of, you know, where I spend my time, how I spend my time, uh, what I uh, what I talked about, I think, is, is very important as a leader. It's not just um, the communication, but it's what you give airtime to. And, you know, I just, over time, I think, like most leaders, have just continued to become more aware of the, um, of the impact of those things over the years. So you brought up, uh, you know, you know, building a culture with learning from others, uh, especially your leaders that you learned with over your career. What do you believe is the relationship between leadership and creating a culture? Oh, I think it's 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 a one to one connection. It's 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 incredibly important because leadership. You know, I think leaders have only what I described earlier. They have trust and respect. They have followership. Um, because of that that um, those who follow them are going to exhibit the culture that they build around them. And it's incredibly important that leaders, um, that leaders reinforce, depending upon the organization that they work for, or create a culture that is right for their organization. You know, and I think we talk about culture, we talk about core values in, in a lot of ways, but um, I think, uh, individuals in an organization need to see their leaders overtly modeling the sort of culture that they believe is appropriate for them. Um, I think in most, uh, the most important thing is around integrity and honesty and openness. Um, those, you know, authenticity, if you like, those cultural aspects where people are being honest and open about where we are, what we know, what we don't know, where we're going um, is, is incredibly important to having an organization um, follow the path that, that the leadership set out for them and create that culture. 
One of my I greatest mentors over the years used to tell me, you know, culture is what your people do when you're not around. And, you know, he was a CEO of a large organization. And I think that's, that's very wise. You know, you create culture because you want all of your people to know how to behave in the organization, whether or not their leaders are watching. I loved one point you made about great leaders model the behavior and the attributes of the culture they, they'd like to see in, in the organization. One of the most difficult thing is to drive passion, especially when you're trying to drive organizations to do something that may be a little bit impossible. How do you drive passion or do you think that's important for leaders to, to, to create that passion, that culture that drives that culture towards the mission and success? I think passion is incredibly important. It is very difficult to um, lead large groups of people down a path um, to, you know, a particular strategy or outcome for an organization if they don't think their leaders really believe it's the right thing to do. And, you know, leaders' beliefs come through in the passion that they exhibit for the business. Their passion is, in, if you like, infectious. Um, and, and their passion for the, the path, the business, the growth, um, the strategy, whatever it happens to be, is incredibly important to bringing all of their teams along. So I think passion is, is a really good point, Eileen. I think passion is incredibly important. Um, I think it's easy, you know, for me personally, I speak for me personally, but I, I, I see it in a lot of leaders as well. I think it is easy to be passionate um, because I think we do the things as leaders that we believe in that we think are really important for our businesses. So, you know, I think what's probably a little bit more um, difficult is to make sure that your communication and the way you talk about things um, exudes that passion. And in some cases, I feel that, you know, you go a little bit farther in terms of how you talk about things to bring your passion to life. And I think that ability to communicate your passion is a really big part of the story as well. I'm speaking with Deborah Sells, former global consulting leader for Deloitte's government and public services industries. Coming up next, we'll talk about being a leader that's trying to lead through some challenging times. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Debbie Sills, former global consulting leader for Deloitte's government and public services industries. Deb, you know, we talked a little bit about leading with passion in the last sec section, um, there, and there's so many articles coming out right now about empathetic leadership. Uh, people who are tired, there's talk about the great resignation, there's, you know, there, there's all... You know, the the emotion that is out in the workplace today is much different than it was 10 years ago. How do you feel about empathetic leadership and, and do you deploy that in your leadership style? Yeah, Eileen, I think we're all learning new skills as leaders because there was a shift, as you mentioned, um, in, you know, through the COVID period in terms of how we work and the connection that people have with their organizations. Some of that, you know, coming from this massive move 
literally overnight to, to a remote working environment. And I think that one of the things that happened in that environment is that leaders who were used to leading in very much a face-to-face -face way, sitting with their teams, their clients, their leaders, you know, their other leaders together and having those conversations, whether it be, you know, in a conference room or over dinner, all of a sudden were dealing um, with creating um, environments in a very different, difficult situation where individuals were concerned about their families, you know, unable to um, manage, um, you know, children being at home from school as well as their careers and all of these different pressures they had coming down on them without the ability to sit across the table from someone and really understand what what their concerns were and how to how to address those. So I think we all ended up in a situation that is um, that was incredibly complex and has continued without the skills and tools that we've learned all the way through our careers in terms of how to address those things. So I do think there is a requirement on leaders to think about how they lead in this new environment and to and not just to assume that the way we did it before is going to work going forward. You know, we have people who come out of universities who have never worked in a professional environment before who didn't communicate directly in an in-person way with anyone in an organization for maybe the first two years of their careers. And we have to help that group of people understand culture, understand what we do, learn their skills and capabilities, not just in terms of their hard skills, how to do their job, but also in terms of how to engage with the organization. So, you know, I think the requirement for communicating and using different tools to communicate became super important. And those tools, you know, include, I believe, an ability to think through how you communicate on a Zoom, in a Zoom meeting, as opposed to in a real meeting, whether there are ways to connect with individuals um, in a, you know, outside of your regular, you know, team meetings on Zoom or whatever they happen to be, um, to notice when people need extra engagement from you. And, you know, these are things that we're all learning along the way. And I think they're, they're great skills for us to learn. And it's something that we're just going to have to continue the journey on. So you brought up two subject areas. The first one I'm going to ask you about is you talked about, you know, during COVID, you were, you know, having to be more empathetic and more aware of people who had different family situations at home, especially kids. And the U.S., uh, the federal government has announced, uh, you know, sort of like a return to the office policy. Um, and I think it's it's um, being um, upped, the implementation of this is going to be upped in the next two weeks. Um, you know, we, we found that we could effectively work remotely, which has given a lot more flexibility, especially for parents or or somebody caring for elderly who who needs to that flexibility to work remotely, but are still very productive. How did how did you all handle that at Deloitte and, and how do you feel about it? Because the, the other side of it and the reason the second part of the question is, I know that I've built my career over the years through building relationships and that has not been over Zoom. That has been with working with people, having lunch with people, you know, 
um, you know, being in the trenches with them. So how do you balance that? And, and how did you deal with that? How do you think the, the, you know, managers today should be looking at this and helping to, you know, lead the way through this kind of, kind of conflicting situation? Well, Aline, I think you started um, with the, your comments about the federal government going back into the office and so forth. And as consultants um, to both governments and, and um, companies, we, you know, we tend to follow our, our clients' needs. If our clients want us to be in their offices with them, then, you know, we are in their offices with them. But I do think there's been a change in terms of how a lot of our, you know, companies think about this. It's not just what, you know, we want to do as an organization that serves, um, you know, serves governments and, and companies, but it's also about, you know, what we need to do for our people, as you, as you mentioned, you know, with the, um, with the need to get the best talent people who can execute against some of the most complex technologies and capabilities, you know, we need to understand where they, you know, where they stand, you know, how, how they can manage their work and life. So, you know, we're going to be in a constant, um, I think, negotiation. I don't believe that the world will, you know, this is a personal belief, <laughs> you know, I don't believe the world's going back to what it was before. I believe there will be, companies that work predominantly out of the office. There will be companies that work predominantly remotely. There'll be companies that, you know, do a bit of both. And, you know, I believe that we have, um, it's important for people to be together. It's important for them to learn some of those skills. Eileen, that you said you learned through sitting with your clients or sitting with your teams. You know, there's, um, that's an important part of how we develop our skills and capabilities and our leadership. And it's something that we've got to find space for in our, in our cultures. But it's also true that, um, you know, that we have entered a world where we do understand that things can be done differently and that there are opportunities for individuals to, um, to have more flexibility in their life. You know, as a consultant, I, I think um, every Monday morning, I either went to the airport or the train station, or to, you know, to the client and, um, you know, wasn't home for, for most of the week. And, you know, I think these, there are opportunities for people to have great careers, like being a consultant, without giving up um, all of that time with their family. So it's going to be a you know, it's probably not a great answer to your question, but it's going to be a, an evolving and complex situation. I don't believe we're going back to where we were before. And leaders of the future are going to need to learn how to navigate through that in order to, you know, to meet both requirements, those requirements of culture and growth and leadership development, as well as um, being more, I think, um, sensitive to people's unique situations. You know, I, I think there's one more complexity um, with that kind of dilemma, right? It's also generational because I have four kids. They're all in uh, early 30s and in their 20s in their careers. And, you know, they're, most of their career has been kind of remote, right? And so they see that as being the norm. And, but yet, 
as I stated earlier, I, I felt that a lot of my career was made because I could develop relationships like with my clients in person. There's there's just a whole nother level of of connection that you can make in person versus over, you know, a Zoom or or Google Meets, right? So do you think mm -hmm. um do you see that with the 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 generations? And you, you mentioned about coaching and mentoring. Um, is that something that you speak to folks that you you're helping to coach? I do. Um, I do. And, you know, I acknowledge that, as you did, that I grew up in a different world and that, you know, I had different parameters in terms of how I thought about building relationships. And I, you know, since have worked in environments, you know, sort of through the through the pandemic, I worked for, on an incredibly complex project with hundreds of people on the project. Um, and we were never together in person, not a single time, not with the client, not with each other. And, um, you know, I was fearful going into that sort of situation that the performance on the project and our ability to deliver would be harmed by this. The reality was that, you know, the team delivered flawlessly and it was every bit as you know, as an effective a project as any of those that I've worked on where we've all been in the same room together. So, you know, I'm a convert in terms of what can be done. However, um, I do think it's important to, to mentor our young leaders and help them to understand the value of building relationships. And as, as you said, we can only go so far with over a Zoom link. And that ability to really connect with people, to sit with them and, you know, and in a face-to-face -face environment really does matter. And it doesn't have to be every day. You know, I don't think it's about going to the office every day and sitting in your cube with your headphones on doing your work. It's about making the space for those times where you need to connect with people, you need to be with them and learning how to create those relationships through that. So yes, I do mentor, mentor um, junior staff to think through when they need to be in person and when they can be remote. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm talking with Deborah Sills, former consulting global consulting leader for Deloitte's Government and Public Services Industries. Next, we'll find out Deb's advice to the next generation of leaders. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Debbie Sills, former global consulting leader for Deloitte's government and public services industries. Deb, I'd like to take a step back. And we talked a little bit about women leadership a little bit um, at the beginning of the program, but you know, you have been a leader in technology for decades. And still, women is drastically underrepresented in leadership and technology companies. It's it's unreal how what the the, the lack of movement in this particular number. Um, so, what do you think we can do to change this? You have any stories that you could share along your career? How you know maybe you've seen things happen well or haven't happened? I mean, what do you think about it? What do you think we can do to change this? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things on this one, Eileen, that um, it is an area that I'm passionate about. I think one of the first things to note um, is I, I did do some research a little while ago, and while I don't recall the exact metrics, it, the number of women 
graduating from computer science programs um, in, at, at the university level has actually declined pretty significantly over the last 30 to 40 years. So I think the first thing that we can do is to encourage our young girls and women to, um, to engage in this industry. It's an, it's an amazing industry for, for women. Uh, it has, you know, and it is something that our, many of our young girls don't aspire to um, these days. And I do think that there's something that we as parents and individuals and women can do to encourage our girls um, to enter into this field. So that, you know, I would start there because I think if we don't have um, the pipeline of women coming into the industry, we won't have an increase in the number of women leaders in this space. Um, the second thing is a little bit of a story I'll tell you, and this is a very old story. It was when I first, um, I first started uh, out in my career. Uh, there is something that I think um, is, is what I call typecasting that I've seen happen over the years in the industry. But this story is, um, goes back to when I was um, applying for a job and they used to have logic tests back in the day. And um, I did very well on my logic test. And that was a, one of the tests that you had to pass in order to be entered into this company in, on a technology track. And the interesting comment from the senior person who was interviewing was that um, they were surprised by that. And they were surprised by that because of who I was. You know, I was female, I was small, I was unassuming at the time. Perhaps some of those things have changed over the years. But there is this idea that because of who you are and how you look and the fact that you're a woman, that the expectation is that you're not going to be very technically confident. And that's something that I think, um, while it's changed over the years, we have to continue to think about relative to changing. And then the final thing that I would say on this one, and this is something that I, as a leader in current days, have worked really hard to try to solve for. I see young female leaders in the technology space being... Um, put into what I call the soft jobs. And so we'll often see women leading um, more of the change management, the project management. These are, these are really important roles. But in order to grow as a leader, um, they also need to be leading the application development track, the technology architecture track, to have that credibility and understanding of what it means to really drive these technology programs and to have the credibility in front of their clients and their peers of having done those, those jobs, which are considered to be more at the core, the engineering part of, of the projects. And, you know, so I think we need to watch out for that. And as I, I would always um, go into our large scale projects where we have hundreds of, of people and look at who was in what role, not how many women were in the leadership team, but what roles did they have in those teams? And are we typecasting our women into certain roles and not giving them the opportunity to develop more of those um, you know, technical cap capabilities that are going to put them in a position to grow in leadership going forward? So I think that's a really important aspect. 
you know, I, you, you've been, had a very distinguished career over, or over decades, but can you talk to um, us about the importance of building a network and why it is important for leaders to have a strong network and maybe what organizations you belong to and why, because I truly believe your net worth is your um, somewhat calculated by your network. Um, how, what do you think about that? Yeah, network's incredibly important. And um, I, I remember when I first uh, joined Deloitte as a partner, um, I'd come from a large global organization where I knew everyone in the leadership team. And this is just internally to the company. You know, I knew all the sales leaders, I knew all the industry leaders, I knew all the geography leaders. And, you know, I knew them all personally. And I, I went and joined an organization of a partner I knew all but one person. And, you know, I, the, the first thing I did um, was make sure I put at least half a day on my calendar every week for networking. And I would simply use that time to call people up, to talk about what they were doing, to learn about what they were doing, to see how I could help them be successful, um, to whether I could connect them with someone else. Because, you know, my ability to be successful in this organization was going to be dependent upon my network. Like who's going to call me when they need help? Who's going to call me to, you know, to lead for them? And so um, it, is, it is incredibly important to network. Um, I have spent, you know, my time at, um, you know, that I was at Deloitte really spending my network time with my clients, um, with my leaders, and with some external organizations, um, you know, as you know, government uh, runs on a lot of external organizations where leaders get together. And whether it be in a particular mission area like Medicaid or human services, or whether it be more in a, in a technology area with a group of CIOs from states and other agencies getting together, those sort of networks um, have been very important relative to a, a career working with governments. But regardless of where you work, I think it's important that you build you, you build those networks. And the other thing that I, I notice in leaders is it's not just the building of the network, but the maintaining of the network. Oftentimes in business and particularly in government, there's long stretches between where you might encounter someone sort of naturally by being in the same place at the same time. So making sure that you maintain networks and that you continue to reach out to people and, you know, have coffee when you're in town or send an article that you think might be of interest to them, I think is a very important way to, to keep networked with, with those around you. But I agree with you, Eileen, networking is, is, is very important. So tell me, you recently um, left Deloitte. What are you doing now? Well, I would say, Eileen, I'm in transition. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was really very busy right up until the final day of, of being with Deloitte when I retired. And so I have joined um, a advisory board um, and just starting that, that path. And, and then I am networking, to your point, with, with many others look, and thinking about opportunities to 
engage more in an advisory capacity, either on a corporate board or in an advisory board situation where I can help other companies and other individuals be successful going forward. Well, being on one of those boards with you, that anybody would be lucky to have you on the board. Um, your career has been so very successful. It has truly been inspirational. Any pearls of wisdom you would have for the next generation of leaders? Yeah, Eileen, I, I would say if I were to look back over my career, you know, the thing that I am most proud of is that um, I enjoyed every day I went to work. And I think if you're going to have a long, success, successful and most importantly, satisfying career, then you should do the things you love and you should love the things you do. And we talked earlier about passion. Um, you know, I have a passion for what I do. And, you know, I don't do it if I don't have a passion for it. And I think that is the most important thing. You know, you'll rise as a leader. And as long as you are really committed to the future of what you're doing, that, you know, you want to see your ideas come to life, you want to see others be successful, and, you know, you want to see your organization be successful, they're the things that matter. It's about showing up every day with, with that, you know, with that, I guess, skipping your step to say, this is going to be a great day and we're going to do great things together. You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been Deborah Sills. Deb, I just want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your personal journey and some seriously valuable advice. Thanks, Eileen. It's been a great pleasure to be with you today. I'm Eileen Black. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.